Listener Production. Danny Minogue is really good fun. That's a kind of strange way to introduce her. But I need you to know that in this interview, we had a really awesome time. Danny is, of course, a pop singer, actress, reality television judge, businesswoman and model. So here she comes for the last time on Young Talent Time as a team member, Danielle Minogue. Many Australians grew up watching her on Young Talent Time before she moved to New York and then London, where her fame soared. Coronavirus now means that she's back in Australia, living at the family home in Melbourne with her son Ethan, her mum and dad, and big sister Kylie, all in one big intergenerational mashup. My sister flew out from London. It's the Minogue Mansion. Well, we're very lucky that mum is one of the greatest cooks ever. Up next, The Weekend List, where we recommend what to watch, see, do, eat and listen to. But first, here's my intimate chat with Danny Minogue about her childhood dreams, her music career, and the absolute horrors of being caught up in the UK phone hacking scandal. Danny Minogue, it is so lovely to see your face again and see you here in Australia. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to it's good to be here. How long have you been here? Did you get COVID trapped? Yeah, this trip I've been here, it's just coming up a year now. So I was meant to be flying in and out because my life since the start of the 90s was just literally on planes. And I never thought anything of living at one end of the world, having family at the other end and then working in a completely other country just all made sense until now. And now it's like, I guess I have to narrow it down. And it's come back to being in Melbourne with family, I guess it's what a lot of people are doing through COVID and um, it's it's been great but weird when you're forced into a plan that you're like, no, this wasn't in, in my schedule. Or <laughs> are you a planner? Yes. Yeah. yeah, I find it hard to change <laughs> once. My dad is like that too and my mum never makes a plan for anything. So <laughs> it's like definitely a trait that I got from him. Let's go back in time a little bit because I want to make sure our audience gets to know the fulsomeness of you and your career. Mm. You were on TV at the age of seven. Mm -hmm. You were a household name before you were a teenager. Your mum to Ethan now, who is 10 turning 11, would you want that life for him? Um, Good question. (laughs) Uh. It's weird because most kids, even if you're not in the entertainment industry, are putting themselves up on social media so much that it's a public space. So I feel like everybody's living in that world now. But if he does it, there will be a lot more attention on him because of who he is. So I've just kept him off it for now. Um, And we enjoy like seeing YouTubers and like gamers that he follows and all of that kind of stuff. But he does understand, he remembers for many, many years, anytime we would leave the house, there'd be creepy guys following us, hiding behind trees and long lenses. And he would point and say, what's that? Who's that, mummy? What's happening? And so I always go back to that. I'm like, well, that's 
because of what mummy does and uh, like you have to make really clear choices in your life to try and reduce that. Otherwise, that's going to get worse. So he understands that there's sometimes stuff that we want to do or he wants to do, but we don't because we're just kind of like our world will change with that. How young do you reckon he was when he had to start getting his head around that? Because there's some pretty adult concepts for a little person. Yeah. I mean, we were just chased from leaving the hospital. Wow. There was a helicopter following the car. Oh, mate. It was crazy. And then I guess magazines love pictures of mums with babies. It's just been relentless. He's just used to seeing them. It got quite hectic. And so then it was kind of nice being overseas and being away from it for a bit. It was probably an unfair question to begin with anyway because TV was pretty different in the 80s to what it is now. There wasn't the same fanfare. There wasn't social media, as you point out. But nonetheless, Young Talent Time was one of, if not the biggest show in Australia when it was on. Mm. Did you get treated differently when you were a kid? Did you get treated differently by your peers? It was weird because making that decision to perform, I just loved everything about being in the studio, the lights, the cables, the equipment, the the crew, everything. For me, it wasn't just the shiny end product. It was like every second of rehearsal I loved, no matter how boring it was. And there's a lot of waiting around. And um, yeah, I chose to go into an industry where there were no paparazzi back then. There was no social media. So it was kind of like you did your work and the minute you left the studio and you shut that door behind you, I walked myself to school and it was pretty normal. I didn't get treated differently at school. Apart from one thing, I was just so crap at sports, like just <laughs> beyond. The swimming is the only thing I can do. So I did negotiate uh, with the PE teacher and the principal and I sat them down. I said, look, I'm an A-plus student, I would love to keep up those grades, but I work six days a week. Can you just fail me now at PE and I don't show up and I'll be in the library? Oh, and you study. And, yeah, because I just was, like, staying up till midnight working and it was really hard. So I said, kind of, the choice is yours. I'm really, you know, pleading here because I want to enjoy and hold on to those other subjects. And javelin's not my thing, you know, when, you know, shot put and long jump. It's just not my thing. It's uh, Who knows what we might have missed out on? We I might know, have been right? going 2021 Olympics watching Danny Minogue in the javelin <laughs> or the shot put. They, they were really good. They were really good. And I think that some kids now, whether you're going to be an Olympic swimmer or there's something that you, you're already working at, you're specialising in, some other things have to, like, give to allow you that space. Thinking about you just walking to school on your own and reflecting on the fact that 80s and 90s parenting, take the TV away, oh my God. 80s and 90s parenting is completely different to yeah. what parenting is today. There yeah. are things my parents let me do that never in a million years would I let my kid yeah. do. We all had a bicycle and one of our homes growing up was in a court and all the kids from all the houses would just ride on bikes from when school finished until dinner time. Yeah. And you'd hear your mum yelling out from the house, dinner, and you had to get back then and you were starving by then anyway. And I remember just pre-COVID thinking, oh, life's never going to go back to no. that. And now the kids have, like, got so much screen time. Little did I know, like, cut forward another year, 
you can't survive without your Wi-Fi and Zoom meetings for the kids' schooling. Like, they have to look at a screen. You can't say, stop looking at your screen now to try and be a good parent. You're now going, you have to get in front of that laptop because school's starting. It's just everything's flipped and, yeah, it's never going to go back to that. No, I don't think we can undo this one. We can't unravel how far we've gone. I'll tell you a terrible parenting moment. We, during the most recent lockdown, let my little boy who's six talk on FaceTime for half an hour with his best buddy in the afternoons. And they just go into each other's bedrooms and show each other each other's toys. They don't even listen to the other one. But his friend had to go early and he didn't want to give up having access to my phone. So he just sat there and talked to Siri for 20 minutes. And I sprung him having a conversation and telling knock-knock jokes to Siri. And I was like, he's six. This is not how it's supposed to be. (gasps) So I imagine TV sets like Life for Kids were different to how they are today. Were they as lax? Were there things that would have happened on Young Talent Time that just would not happen to kids in a TV studio now? Well, yeah, with kids now, there's really defined time that they can work and you can't go a second over that. We work the longest hours. We just broke just to eat. There was no breaking to like sit down and complete schoolwork. That's why I did it in my lunch times and when I would have been a PE. We shared a green room with another TV show out at Channel 10 at Nunawading. The two shows were Young Talent Time and Prisoner. Oh, my God. And you would remember Lizzie. Yeah, yeah. Smoked. She was a chain smoker. We shared a green room with no windows. Oh, and you could still smoke inside? Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. With all those little To children. talk about was it different back then, I mean, this would never happen these yeah. days. It wasn't like Young Talent Time was doing something bad. That was life then. Like I remember people taking flights and people smoking cigarettes yeah. inside aeroplanes. That was just normal. I'd try and be as far away from that smoking aisle as I could. It's a lot different now and then. Obviously, when I came back to Australia and did The X Factor here and the kids would be starting like 13, 14 on Mm. that and they had very different rules from when you're 14 and 15 and up as for the hours that they could work. So we would always shoot with them first and then they're cleared to go and do homework and stuff and I'd be looking at them going, what? (laughs) Do you know how good you've got it? Yeah, right? But it's good. I feel I feel good that being on these shows, on that side of it, I like to hear that all of these rules are in place because you couldn't have that same life that we had back then with how the world is now. Yeah. It, it just doesn't work that way. It worked for us back then. They just had the, the 50th anniversary of the first Young Talent Time show and One of my mates, I was on the show with Bev and he sort of got a lot of the ex-team members together to um, do a little um, show for the fans and sort of reconnect. And it's been amazing because a lot of us have lost touch. You said we've kept in little groups but then all got back together and I did a walkthrough of our studio to show the fans and that's now where the neighbours set is. And that was like our studio all week long. It was just our set up on there. It was crazy. We are so thrilled that we're going to be welcoming you to the listener family as host of the podcast series, The 90s. I don't think I've ever been so excited about the name of something in my life. (laughs) Tell me about your love of the 90s and what this show is going to be about. 
So the 90s was my era because that was like, you know, when I was at 19, turning 20, I could start to go out to clubs and that's sort of always going to be a really influential time for anyone. But then I found myself moving to London in a whole different world and then I was flying around the world everywhere. There are a lot of memories and a lot packed into the 90s. And some of it, there's so much. I'm like, I can't remember it all. Fans will put up photos of stuff and I'm like, or a video of a performance and I'm like, you'd think I would remember dancing around in front of that thing on that show, but I just was, for me at that time, like one of strings of performances I do every single day. So I was like, oh, I don't remember that one particularly. But say with the music, I still listen to everything from the 90s. Like I feel like some people get stuck in an era that's my era. That's the one that I love. And um, then with the podcast, we get to dive into what made the 90s the 90s. And so it's the music, the TV shows, the fashion, oh, amazing. the events that were happening. And uh, as we were saying before, is a different time, a different world. And so it's just nice to dive back into that. Half of the stuff that comes up in the script, I'm like, yeah, oh my God, I remember when that happened. You know, Friends first started and Seinfeld and, you know, Sleepless in Seattle came out and all of these things and, you know, Tom and Nicole got married yeah, and you just yeah. go through all these epic moments. And then there's some other stuff that is like really facty things about how a band started or how they, you know, got to that hit song and it would never have happened without this. And I don't know all of those backstories, but... I'm kind of learning as well. So the podcast will be a place where you can reminisce, but I'm absolutely sure there'll be stuff where you have that aha moment. You go, ah, is that what happened then? I also think the timing of this is perfect because, you know, we're sitting in inner city Melbourne in a studio right now. If you walk out on the street beside the masks, everyone looks like they're from the 90s again because that's how we're all dressing. The fashion everything. Like for me, that was my music era. And then, you know, when people start sampling it and messing with songs from the nineties, you know, then it's going to be back in fashion. And, um, it's so cute to see it like in all the different stores and all the different labels and different artists copying what we did back then. Like we were just doing our own thing, but yeah, it's fun. So let me go back in time again. You, do I use the word graduate? You, you finish up on Young Talent Time. Yeah, I get booted out. Yeah. You, you end. Do you, yeah, is it, you, well, you age you, out? You, yeah, you age out. You had to leave when you were 16. So you, everybody could feel that time You're right, coming you retire up. at 16. Yeah, God. and you, like, it's, it's a family and it's like this space that, it's you're so used to that being part of your world it's mm. really is abrupt when it ends because you saw all of those people six days a week you saw them more than your family and then that's it, it. ends and you don't see them because they're like they're working every day and you you are sitting there going what do I do now like actually what do I do um, so how did how did you answer that question uh, Michael Gudinski answered it. He uh, wanted to record a record with me and asked me if I would um, be interested in making an album. I'm like, is that a question? Like, are you kidding me? This is the best thing ever. Like, 
nobody in Young Talent Time thought we would leave there and we were on like the Young Talent Time records but you didn't think you'd be releasing your own record. Yeah. That's stuff that happens to other people. And that record was Danny or Love and Kisses in the UK. Yeah. album and the kickoff single for both here in the UK was Love and Kisses and um, I spoke to Michael and there was a guy called Gary Ashley working there as well. They had this song Love and Kisses and these producers lived in the Bronx who'd written it so they're like well let's fly over and record with them. There's none of this now where everybody has a microphone in their bedroom and, yeah. and, and writes their own music and stuff. You went to a studio and the producer did the music and you turned up at the mic and they were in the Bronx. So we got on a plane and went to the Bronx to record that. And, and you're seven, 16, 17? 17. Wow. We had enough songs to record an album so they said stay. We hired a, a studio down in Green Street in Soho and I used to live in Trump Tower, would oh, you believe, wow. at Central Park South on 59th. And I would, a 17-year-old, I would walk from there to downtown. It's such a long way. It's hours every day and I would walk home. And I remember walking home one night and it was dark and I see this guy with a big cowboy hat walking towards me and it's Molly Meldrum goes, Danny Minogue, no. what are you doing here? This was on 42nd Street, which is the place you don't want to, like, stop and hang around. He's like what are you doing? I said, I'm walking home from work, like I'm recording here. And every time we see each other, we just go, that was of the millions of people in New York City. We just happened at that moment to walk past each other. Oh, I love that. It all feels, also feels like Australia kind of travelled with you even when you were doing stuff that must have been pretty big and scary for a 17-year-old. Were you kind of too young to be scared? I think so, because I remember the first day of recording, Gary, Ashley and I went from our accommodation in New York City out to the Bronx to do that first recording. And for the previous months, there'd been so many killings in the Bronx that nobody who didn't live there did not go there. Yeah. You could not book a car that went there. The only way we could get in was to get a yellow taxi of someone who lived there who was returning to the Bronx. And then we get out of the car and we realise we are many blocks from where we are meant to be get, getting out at the front door. So there's me, little 17-year-old, and Gary Ashley walking through the Bronx and cars would just slow down beside us. <laughs> I think feeling pity going, you could tell we were lost. I mean, you know when someone's not from there, just thinking, what are you doing here? What? And so we were really lucky to just oh, wow. cruise through all of that. And then after that experience, I think that's when, you know, we, we got stuff done there that day and they're like, we need to keep you in town. Like you can't get in and out of here. We'll, we'll, we need a studio. When did that kind of adult experience of fame start for you? Where do those memories begin of the paparazzi following you, of feeling like you're seeing your face everywhere? Because after that album, you go on to have huge success and move in more into the dance space, yeah. music-wise. But 
it's not, you know, it's not a brief career in music. It's ongoing and you're yeah. living this big celebrity life in a way that doesn't have that kind of momentary fame that I think so many people experience now. Like you're there for the long haul. Yeah. Do, do you have a sense of when that began? It feels like when you join Young Talent Time, you're, you're you in it, it at the high end straight away. It's the biggest Saturday night TV show wow. that there is. So it felt like from then... But then it just went through all these different changes of how media changed and, as you say, like paparazzi and then I'm living in London and was involved in the phone hacking scandal. So there were so many different levels of it where you just go, there's no handbook for this. Like what am I supposed to do right now? So I don't remember one moment apart from joining Young Talent Time, that was when it was like, oh, I'm, I'm one of those people now where people know you just by your first name. Did that feel dangerous? It was dangerous in London with the craziness of the paparazzi there, for sure. Like when you see those images of Britney getting in a car, they're all lying on the car around her and it's just flash, 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 flash. You literally are blinded. Mm. That's happened to me in London and I couldn't move. If I started to move forward, I'd run over their feet, then they sue me. There were no phone cameras then. So I was not filming them, but I wish now I had footage of just how extreme it was. They were never accountable for it because people didn't walk around on the streets with phones in their pockets. So none of it was ever filmed or recorded like it would be now. Wow. Tell me about the phone hacking scandal because I feel like as someone who was watching it play out in the media, felt like every day we were up opening our phones and there'd be more news and more stories. I'm trying to get my head around what it would have felt like to be in it rather than watching it unfold. I wish I wasn't in it. Um, it terrifies me to even yeah. go back to that space and talk about it. So for at least two years... Friends and family knew I always said to them, I'm being followed, trapped or something. Something's happening. I can feel it. And they were like, it's hard being a pop star, isn't it? You're getting paranoid. Like my closest friends saying, you know, I know that there are lenses on you in your day-to-day life, but that doesn't mean that you're being followed and Mm. tracked and someone's listening to you. And then years later... When it emerged, I called each and every one of them and I said, I was just beside myself and I said, this is one of those situations where you don't want to be right, Mm. but do you remember me saying this to you and you just shutting it down? That's not the most amazing part of the story. The most amazing part of the story was that I'm just a pop star. I'm just making music. I don't understand why somebody would be tracking my life. I'm not that important. I'm not the prime minister. I'm not making decisions. Like really your attention should be somewhere else. The only reason that the whole hacking scandal was cracked open was because they were tracking a child's phone that went missing. And the way they would get into your phone was if you didn't change the pin on it, they would go in and listen to messages And I was changing phones all the time and not changing the pin code on it. And they were paying people within the phone companies to give up your details. There was a child that went missing and the parents were beside themselves. 
and they were like, there's action on the phone. So the child, we believe, is still alive. It was the media going in and checking the phone. So that was the only thing that unraveled it all. Now, everybody who was involved in it had a personal story that for them was really hard. Nothing compares to that. But it was sad that it had to be something like that to stop it. But I know that there were pop stars that they were hacking into her parents' phones and the mother almost committed suicide because of it because there were all these stories coming out all the time and she couldn't handle it. And this is well before anyone talked about anxiety or mental Mm. health. Mm. It didn't matter if you're a pop star, good luck to you. What happened to me was I found out I was pregnant and I was waiting to fly home to tell my parents face-to-face. I am sitting with a couple of friends in my apartment in London trying to make a lasagna and I get a call from my PR agent. I always know now when I hear this tone in his voice, he's like, hi, have you got a minute to talk now? And I was like, that is a very high tone. I'm like, Simon, (laughs) what is going on? He goes, are you alone? I said, no, I've got friends over. I'm just in the middle of cooking. Is this going to take long? He's like, get into your bedroom, close the door and we need to speak. He said, and I hadn't even told him that I was pregnant. He said, the sun's running front page tomorrow to say that you are pregnant. I was like, okay, what? They're running the full story. And I'm like, you need to stop this. Like I'm not even three months pregnant yet. He said, that's the only way you can stop it. I've been speaking to lawyers. The only way you can stop it is to confirm that you're pregnant. And they'd followed me to my first scan. Oh, God. So they knew from back then. All the media in London knew before any of my friends knew and before I told my parents. So I had to get on the phone that night and call my parents briefly and Ethan's father between just being on the phone all night to lawyers to say, Mum and Dad, I'm pregnant. By the way, I've got to go. I've got to speak to these lawyers. There's this big thing. It's in trying to stop it from being front page of the sun tomorrow. So we managed to stop it only by legally the only way you can stop them is to confirm, yes, you are pregnant. And then I was just tracked forevermore. So I lost that genuine, very exciting moment. It's a joyful I, moment. I can never get you. back. And so... There are a lot of like annoying parts to my day when I'm like, oh, I wish, you know, the media weren't jumping on my car or something, but it's annoying and you get on with it. But that was like, I can't get over that. I can't get over it that this is happening because what? Because I record songs? Yeah. Really? Yeah. And that was yours. That was your moment to have with your loved ones. Yeah. It doesn't belong to anybody else. No, and just so creepy then every time anywhere I went in London and would see media I'm like you've known this whole time like and it was the commodity like that was something that was worth money and they sold the information and so it was really weird and I ended up on the top 20 list in the phone hacking book I'm like I'm not that exciting I don't know how I got here and then I was like 
I'm mates with Shane Warne. I called him up and I said, I blame you. You're on the list as well. You're much more exciting. You are actually getting up to stuff every weekend. And we've, we've been really great mates since my brother worked with him years ago filming the cricket. I actually think that's how I ended up on the, the top tier list because they were wanting to hear messages between us. Shane used to always call me when a story broke and he's like, oh, Disco, it's a bad weekend. Oh, what have I done? So that is bonkers. I think that's how I ended up there, apart from just being like Minogue and Kylie and but they were tracking stuff about her cancer journey. So we've all got a story to tell about how it affected us and it's something you can't get back, but it started with the missing child. Far out. Sorry, I'm supposed to ask the next question, it's, but I'm a little bit bold over. It's hard to take it in, right? <laughs> bold over. I'm so sorry yeah, that happened you can to you. see my hand shaking I'm so when I'm sorry. talking about it. It's because it would just... it would threaten your sense of physical safety and security in the in yeah. the world. Yeah. Do you find it hard to trust people after that? I think I would. The thing of being tracked and followed is the thing that it, it just makes me jump. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Of course. But anyway, <laughs> change of gear, moving on. <laughs> now, because of COVID, you are living lots of generations in one spot. Tell me about that. Yes, Tell me yes. about having the family all together because that must be amazing and difficult at the same time. It's the Minogue Mansion. Well, we're very lucky that mum is one of the greatest cooks ever and I Handy. do I do try and, you know, make a few meals but they'll never, ever compare. My sister flew out from London. It's been surreal but amazing at the same time. I hear of a lot of families doing that intergenerational living. I think for a period of time, it's amazing to come back together. It's the thought in your head like, I can't just keep doing this forever. This yeah. is really, really weird. When was the, When would have been the last time you were all together, even in one city, let alone in one house? Well, we didn't even all make it to London for Kylie's 50th. My brother flew over there when she did like some big performances either just before or after. He was there for the birthday and was FaceTiming me from there. Uh, Mum and Dad didn't go because we just thought we'll do it just like later on in the year and, and let her enjoy that as like there's a lot of media attention and she's in the middle of doing shows. Let her just enjoy that and get it out the way and then we'll do our family thing because family stuff for us it has to be mega, mega, mega private. And then we didn't really get to it. And then even since I've been here in Australia, like my brother's birthday was during lockdown. People were asking me today, uh, his 50th uh, last year, and then people asked me today, what are you doing for your 50th this year? And I said, uh, probably a dress-up Zoom party by the yeah. time October rolls around. It is what it is. So we might have to combine um, Kylie's 50th, my brother's 50th, my 50th, and then my dad's 80th and kind of just celebrate it all together at a time when it works, like your, you know, sixth birthday party that didn't happen. It has been lovely getting to know you on a different level. Danny. thank you so much for being with The Weekend Briefing. I had an absolute ball in that conversation, as you could probably hear from my voice. There was so much in what Danny had to say that shocked and surprised me, particularly about her experience of being caught up in the British phone hacking scandal, that sense of feeling unsafe in your own home, wherever you are, and not having any means by which you can regain control 
absolutely horrifying. Stick around. The Weekend List is up next. And now it is time for The Weekend List. And I am joined by Tate McGregor to give us some ideas of what we can watch, see, read, cook, listen to and do this weekend. Tate, what have you got for us? Oh boy, I have been ploughing through The O.C. on Stan. Some of you will have already watched this. I'm new to the world of the Orange County and it's delightful. It's a slice of life of this wealthy upper class society in California, but If anything, it's just a really comforting sense of nostalgia that I would recommend if you're feeling anxious or stressed just to sit back and watch some old-school television. There's something about, you know, these really low-riding jeans and just horrifying makeup and hairstyles and just poor scripting that I just love. It's really good. So, yeah, I'm finally learning about where... Adam Brody, Misha Barton, all those great actors who come from. It's a, it's a high recommendation on Stan for me. That is a very trashy trip down memory lane, but also sounds like a really delicious one as well. <laughs> if you feel like going a little bit more highbrow this weekend, folks, I've got some highbrowness that'll only take you two hours. So on Netflix at the moment is Amy Tan's Unintended memoir. If you recognise that name, Amy Tan is the author of, amongst many other books, The Joy Luck Club, which was one of the biggest commercial and critical successes of the 80s. I think it spent more than 40 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. But Amy Tan herself has a fascinating history. And in this documentary, they kind of do a portrait of her And she's an older woman now and it interweaves archival imagery and her own home movies and personal photographs. There's animation and all these original interviews and it traces back her family history in China, the experience of her mother, which was a really torturous, horrific first marriage and about Tan slowly unpacking her family's history and then how she converted that to the page. I started to ask her about her life. I would listen to everything. She loved the idea she was helping me to write. Amy Tan, Unintended Memoir. Well, I have been reading recently through this lockdown, and it's a book by one of our former guests, Lillian Ahenkin, a.k.a. Flex Mommy. It's called The Success Experiment. And it's... A really interesting take on a pragmatic guide to almost manifestation, you know, knowing what you want and then getting it. Through her own success experiment in her career, Lillian transformed herself from a two-time university dropout, burning out in a PR job that she hated, into a sought-after media personality in a really small space of time. She's only 25 at the moment. She's written this incredible book. I know. And it has three sections. It begins with self-awareness and learning about who you are, then transforming into figuring out what you want, why you want it, and leaning more towards the law of attraction. And then finally, how do you get it? So action, which is the most important step in manifestation I think a lot of people forget. It's not just wishing upon a star. It's actually putting the effort in and figuring out how you can achieve your dreams. So essentially by the end of this book, Jamila... (laughs) I'll have achieved my wildest dreams, I believe. Well, as long as you don't go anywhere, dream here. I'm living the dream right here. (laughs) 
That's it for us on the weekend briefing. If you cannot get enough of us or, of course, our weekday show, then you can find us on the listener app or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. While you're there, why not leave us a cheeky rating and a review? And by cheeky, I mean really good, guys, because it helps other people find the podcast. We will be back bright and early on Monday morning where Annika and Tom will have the latest headlines right to your headphones. Listener.